welcome to another bio bit. It's been a hot minute since we did one of these. Uh, I, as always, am Eric Van Allen, one of the co-hosts here at Normandy FM, joined by Kenneth Shepard. Ken, how you doing? Happy to be a Mass Effect show for another episode. We're, we get to talk Mass Effect. This is amazing. It's it it feels like it's been a while. I, when was the last bio bit we did? Fuck, I think it was probably before Legendary Edition. Oh, now, I'm, pro- now I'm actually curious. What was the last time that we did a bio bit? I'm betting my my guess off the top of my head is that it's the last time we did a bio bit was probably for the Mass Effect reveal. Um, um no, I think it was actually. Yeah, it was the week of Legendary Edition. We talked about how we fucked up and didn't know there was the last one final scene in Mass Effect Andromeda we didn't cover. And we talked about right. the box art maker. And then we announced mm. the uh, the roundtables and the, who was on those. So that wow. I mean, the roundtables were the last time we had like a real Mass Effect show. And uh, those were very good. You should all go listen to those if you have not. Um, the last time Normandy FM was about the Normandy. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yes. So for those of you who may not have tuned in in a while, or, you know, maybe you were listening to us through The Last of Us or uh, Final Fantasy X and are wondering what's up, uh, we here at Normandy FM, uh, which we now broadly call a retrospective podcast, uh, started out as a Mass Effect retrospective podcast, obviously. That's the name. name. Yeah. (laughs) Um, and, uh, we... We like to stay true to our roots in some ways by, uh, even though we don't cover specifically just Bioware games anymore, we like to keep up with those games. And when news breaks, especially surrounding Dragon Age or, or Mass Effect, uh, which were our two first major games that we covered, uh, we have these little segments where we just kind of chat about the news that has happened. Uh, and we call that a bio bit. Uh, normally... Fingers crossed, knock on wood. These these tend to be shorter episodes, uh, just sort of talking about whatever current event has been happening, and uh, they, they're just little things that we record for, for y'all to hear us talking about them. And today is a very interesting one, because we have a video here from People Make Games, which is an extraordinary YouTube channel. I highly recommend you check it out, uh, from Chris Bratt and friends who... Uh, I. I don't even want to say former games journalists because they, they definitely... Uh, this this kept... was a journalism. This was definitely journalism. Yeah, yeah. Like, the they, they have kept up the journalism uh, since leaving Eurogamer and moving into an independent YouTube channel. Uh, I highly recommend you go watch their stuff. Their their Blazeball story, their Roblox story. Uh, they, they have a great one that's about a game design prototype that a studio made that became so addicting and also uh like brain power consuming that it just ruined an entire office's productivity and they decided that they could never make a video game based on this prototype because it would ruin the world (laughs) (laughs) i really recommend you go check that out it's they've got incredible videos um and and they tend to be on top of things uh in a very interesting way and their most recent one, which is the reason we were talking about them here, uh, is the inside story of Mass Effect 3's endings finally told. Uh, the video is essentially uh, interviews with former Bioware developers about the retake Mass Effect 3 campaign, the, the, the controversy and response over 
the ending of Mass Effect 3, which is obviously near and dear to our hearts here at Normandy FM. Uh, we're not going to summarize the entire video. Obviously, uh, it's it's a somewhat lengthy YouTube video. Uh, it's worth going to watch just to uh, see all of it for yourself. So, you know, take this minute if you want to, to, to pause and go watch real quick and then come back. But there will be a link uh, in the description. Yes. Uh, I, I will say right off the bat, uh, Ken and I were talking about this prior to recording. And I think one of the, one of the main takeaways I had was number one, and, and this is not to, uh, solely the good work that's done here. It's, it's, it's good work, but, uh, sort of highlights what makes this interesting. I don't think this is, there, there's nothing necessarily new quote. Well, there are, there are like new tidbits and interesting anecdotes, but we, we knew that there was a controversy around Mass Effect three. We knew that, uh, there was a response. We knew that there was internal strife over whether they were going to capitulate to the demands or not. And, uh, they eventually did, which then required extra work put on the developers to create the extended cut, which eventually got added later as an update. But to hear it told by the people who were there is what the really interesting thing is. Mm -hmm. And as Ken and I were talking earlier before the podcast started, it's a side of game development that we we see now and we think about mm -hmm. now, but definitely was not the same back when it happened. The, the idea right. of, as the developers talk about, like there was crunch involved, obviously, because they just finished the studio working on the game and now they had to go back into development on the game. Uh, how much of the the game it's spread across because it's not just writers that are having to rewrite an ending, but there are animators who are having to create new scenes and there are assets needing to be made potentially. And there are um, there, there, there's a lot of work going into making it all click together and changing the ending of a game. And also the way that the ending came together very indicative of what Bioware's development culture was like at the time, which has now been widely reported on um, at various different sites. Uh, that, you know, this they're very much a studio that was turning games around much faster than you would expect large AAA RPGs to be turned around uh, mm -hmm. today. And a lot of it was the the rails were being laid down in front of the train car right. as it was going down the, the railway. Uh, so Kim, what were, what were some of your major takeaways from this video? Yeah, it's, it's interesting because like, this is a 10 year old story that has never really been properly told to the public. There's, there's a lot you can infer even just like in the content of mm -hmm. Mass Effect 3's extended cut, just like what the vibe was like in Bioware. But like in terms of like how Bioware was engaging with it publicly, it was like very much like a, a united PR front of like, yeah, we want to do this for the fans because we want to, you know, you know, all the, everything, every sort of like nicety that you could put around some, one of like the worst, uh, most toxic fucking instances in video game community online. Um, so I, I, I want to say up front, like, fuck you people make games for scooping me on this because it's a story that I wanted for like years to like maybe write, <laughs> but I guess I, I dragged my heels on it for too long. So, you know. I had I got the same scooped. thought, Ken. I had the yeah. exact same thought where I was like, I should have written this fucking story. <laughs> yeah, but it's also, like, it is interesting because, like you were saying, there was a... I, I, I feel like the, the realities of, of this story maybe 
more people are attuned to than they mm-hmm. would have been 10 years ago. Because, like, that we are, like, you know, crunch was not something that anyone was ever really talking about until it became something that was more widely reported. And, you know, looking back, like, they had to turn those, those uh, revamped endings out in, like, three or four months. And that's, like, an insane turnaround. And, like, that's something that maybe, like, you know, I certainly at the time as, like, 19 years old did not, like, process that that was, like, a thing that um, was going to be, you know, both difficult to turn around as quickly as they did, but just generally, like, these people just got done making the full game, and now they're suddenly, like, having to be head down on this, uh, th- these new endings at the demands of people online that were, you know, as I point out in the doc, like, sending death threats, sending passive-aggressive cupcakes to their office that were... And, like, I had, com- like, that was something I had completely forgotten about. Like, it would, like, unlocked a core memory in my brain uh, to see it again in this doc, because that was something that was, like, as the... Uh, the initiative, as we'll call it, was happening. Like th- those were like moves that were being, you know, widely circulating around like Bioware forums, like things like that. Like doing charity streams to like it, it's one of those things where like people you know use charity as a shield to kind of like get away with being shitty at the same time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I feel like it's frustrating that it took ten years for the story to come out, but I also think like we are probably more equipped as an industry and like understanding like how these things uh, work and how, but like how they work, but also like how like the systems that we have in place for developers and like how, and for game development generally um, is all kind of like falling apart at the seams. Cause, like it's not sustainable in the way that we tend to like, you know, have these turnarounds that are ridiculous. Um, but when it came to the actual like content of like what we, what we learned here, like something that I think is probably the most significant in terms of, different ver- or different shapes this ending could have took because like broadly uh the way that the original ending was described in when it was being um made like storyboards like storyboarded yeah yeah it is functionally pretty similar to what we got but i do think that there is one character in particular that kind of gets swapped that probably might have resulted in maybe a like more tepid response like just like a more you know i i think like I think a lot of the, the initial back like there are you know various reasons that the initial backlash happened, but I think a lot of it is steeped in we'll call intentional misreads of certain things. And I think if well basically the catalyst was going to be originally was going to be a reaper like a an actual like as it's described like a reaper queen that had a lot of the same ideals as the, well the catalyst ultimately ends up happening, but is more framed as like a pariah that was like cast out by the Reapers because she had these ideas about evolution and how like the Reapers were like a stagnant thing. Right. Um, even, and that is what would have resulted in the, the, the ending. And because like broadly beyond that, like, you know, the endings are the same. Like they are like, they destroy their, their control. They are senseless. And um, I, I do like, cause you know, a lot of the, the way we talk about Mass Effect 3's ending is memes and bullshit and people, you know, really, like, leaning into things that are, like, not, that do not line up with the text of what's happening in Mass Effect 3. And I feel like if you took out the Catalyst and had a Reaper instead, maybe some of those misreads and all the other bullshit that surrounded it might have been... Like, I, I think, like, you know, one, one of the, the core tenets of what people are mad about is gone, and I wonder if that makes people would have made people more inclined to be fine with everything else that's surrounded it they don't like. Um, I mean, I, I will... Yeah, I will just say that, like, when I heard that original, that, that pitch of the Reaper Queen, 
I liked it a lot more because I, I, you know, I've said on here before that I don't like the catalyst a lot as, as a character. I think I understand what they were going for. I just don't think it landed very well. Um, and the, the idea of taking on the form of Shepard's guilt, like, like the catalyst is a character that gets introduced late. And so I think it's having to do a lot to, have a significant amount of exposition in a moment where you are trying to wrap the story. Um, and so uh, I, I, I've never really liked the idea of we're introducing a character at the very end. And also this character is going to be pivotal to the way that the story ends. <laughs> and uh, I think if you have a Reaper queen, that's just something that like anyone who has been playing Mass Effect up to this point, can better wrap their head around in a, in a fast manner. We've always kind of dealt with Reapers. It would feel mm. more in line with say end of mass effect one is sovereign End of mass effect two is harbinger. Like, so end of mass effect three. Now we have the Ur Reaper. We have the, the, the super Reaper to kind of like bring it all home. I think that fits better with how those games have traditionally gone and would have been interesting to be having, sort of a conversation with a reaper that that isn't just like i'm going to murder you <laughs> or, or at least one that's like taken the shape of a reaper because like it is one of the things where like functionally the reaper queen's no not really different than the catalyst it right, just, right it just visually appears different because like i don't i think a lot of the issue with the catalyst is not necessarily what it is in terms of like the grander narrative of mass effect and mass effect 3 i think it's yeah. just that it takes the form of something that people latch onto a, a different interpretation of um, and because like I mean, yeah, yeah, the catalyst is introduced like in terms of like it appears before you at the very end, but like there are like hints towards it throughout the game, like or well, it, at least a couple, like like Anthesia, like where they talk about like there must be some sort of puppet master behind strength of even the Reapers, and that they are like you know part of this cycle, not necessarily like the instigators of it. Um, right. and, like you know those are things that you have to like I don't know like they're not that line is not given like the same level of gravitas of like an actual reveal, but it is like there, but it's just not maybe satisfactory to some people because like you know and even you know the reaper queen hypothetically like it would still like say you cut out the the actual ending of mass effect 3 and then stuck in this uh thing with the reaper queen like she would still like have some of those same uh issues of like not of being like brought in very late if that like there there have to be like more i guess fucking pointing like neon signs at people or uh, things that people can look at and be like oh here's the foreshadowing like the more explicit foreshadowing at least um well the other part of this ending that that i think bears mentioning and i think was the the second part of why i would have liked this more was the idea that shepherd is virtually plugging into this interface that right. he is he is working with yeah and, and, and some, for, for some quick con context on that just before we get into it mm -hmm. and like the video itself actually didn't um point this out but like in early drafts of Mass Effect 3, Shepard was going to be getting, like, progressively more uh, cybernetic. Like, was going oh, to, like, they, have... they pointed that out as well. It was just, like, in a, in a quick passing line that the, the guy who was describing all of this was basically, like, uh, originally in Mass Effect 3, Shepard was going to be more and more mechanical or whatever. Um, but they, yeah, he the idea was he was going to, like, jack into some system... And then be seeing all this stuff like the Reaper Queen and all that, but it was going to be like virtual world sort of thing, which I think ultimately, I think that even more so than changing the visual appearance of the catalyst, I think making that 
happen virtually makes more sense to me because a lot of the Mass Effect 3 ending, like the parts of it I don't like, are that it just goes full-on space magic in a way that still feels weird <laughs> when I look at it, you know, like with, it's like with the fifth or with all of it, just like, okay, you know, here's, um, all this stuff that was hidden inside the Citadel. Here's, um, like, like you're going through that whole area with all the, the dead keepers and all that. Um, here's, uh, magic floating platform. And then the catalyst appears as this thing. And then here's this room that has these three well-placed things that you interact with to do the different stuff. And it, it just, it feels like you're seeing the cogs of the machine very blatantly. And I feel like if it was in a virtual world, the same way that the, the Geth fighter squadron thing was, uh, that, clicks a little bit more like it just it gives you that sort of easier way of suspending disbelief about how weird it is because as much as mass effect does have space magic in it like it literally does have space magic in it 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 does like try to ground the space magic as much as it can you know to be like okay here's here's how biotics work here's why biotics work that sort of thing here's shields here's how shields work there's lore entries about why your gun in Mass Effect 1 didn't need to be reloaded, but Mass Effect 2 and 3 it does. Like, that's... uh, They they go out of their way to try and explain some of the stuff that happens, but I feel like Mass Effect 3's ending just feels very video gamey by design. Um, I I think it still, like, works within, like, the architecture of the Citadel and, like, the Crucible. Like, I didn't... Like, in terms of, like, its visual representation, that was never something that, like, occurred to me. It, like, felt otherworldly or, like, out of, out of even, like, the realm of Mass Effect. But, but you're in a room that has, like, okay, well, Shepard, there are three decisions, there are three different choices you can make here. Uh, One of them that kind of comes about with you speaking with the Catalyst and talking and stuff like that. But the room has been laid out perfectly to have each of them in their own distinct areas. <laughs> so, and they they each have their own little setup, like it's a little corner of an Animal Crossing island. I don't know. I mean, like I, um, the the one thing that I will say that like the description they had of like the original ending, like that at least made like the visual elements of like the destroy ending click for me better because like it talks about like how Shepard just like you know pulled his gun out and just shot up the mainframe yes. and like that was yeah. like like the actual. Like, even as a, as a person that picks the story, I feel like the visual representation of it is kind of silly of, like, Shepard shooting this thing and, like, walking into the explosion. But I, I guess, like, when I, when I saw this original draft, I was like, okay, I guess they're, like, keeping those elements, even if it just kind of... I mean, you're, like, it's, it's, a, it's a different ending, but it's not really. It's like, so they're keeping a lot of those same uh, visual representations uh, in the actual final product. And that's, uh, that was something that stuck out to me. Yeah. I think, but it, like, like this is, you know, it, it's kind of losing the thread because, I mean, the, the big thing about this is not necessarily like, oh, this is how they could have fixed the ending or done it better or whatever. It's like, um, and we've already, like, litigated the Mass Effect 3 ending, like, multiple times on this show. <laughs> um, it's it's more like the response to it. And I think the, the very smart thing that People Make Games does is uh, draws immediate comparisons at the front of this video to the boyfriend dungeon controversy mm. that happened earlier this year, which if, if the folks at home are not aware of that, um, there was an indie video game called boyfriend dungeon, 
uh, that came out and it had a particular character, a blonde character named Eric. And I will try not <laughs> to take offense to that, <laughs> but uh, it's this, this character was essentially a, a stalker. Like it was, they, they were a bad person that you, um, Ken, you could probably speak better to this, but but you essentially get entangled with them and they start to never like leave you alone and send you bad text messages and stuff like that. And eventually it leads into them being kind of the main antagonist of the story and and the person that you're fighting against. Basically like he's, he's initially presented as somebody, because it's a, for those who don't know, it's it's a dating sim slash dungeon crawler. And he's initially presented as somebody you might be able to date, but then, as the game goes on, it just like, you know, the truth of his nature in the game is revealed and he ends up being the main antagonist and he is a completely unavoidable thing in this game. Like you Mm -hmm. will at some point have to engage with him. Um, Not necessarily as a romantic interest, but just like as a character in this world who who is doing things that impact you as a player and impact your relationships. And so, yeah, he is like an unavoidable, unpleasant thing in that game. And, that controversy kind of like came around for it came out for a couple of reasons because like there was a content warning at the beginning of the game and it was initially insufficient and then it was later patched to be more explicit with you know mm-hmm. what it was saying but then there are people that were saying that oh no like that's not enough I want to be able to take this out of the game I want to have to not engage with it at all I want some toggle or something that'll take him in or out depending on what the player picks and um, Kid Fox Games did not do that and they you know they're sticking with the story that they're telling and um. It is interesting, like, it, I, I, I agree with you saying, like, I, I like that they led with this, that, that it was a more recent example of this kind of controversy, because, like, it is, Mass Effect 3's ending controversy is kind of often framed as, like, you know, the, the pinnacle of, like, the, if the internet is loud enough, they can get whatever they want changed in, uh... It's, it's the Snyder Cut. It's, it's so many right. things that we've seen since that, yeah, if, if people yell enough about a thing that they didn't see as satisfactory, then they will get what they want. Right. You know? Yeah. And, and that, that still permeates through games as well. Cause like the last of us part two dealt with it a lot last year. Like people like making petitions to like get that game. Like it's essentially remade with Joel not dying. And, mm-hmm. you know, we often cite Mass Effect three as, you know, one of the beginnings of this, but also like that, that feels a little bit misrepresentative of what ended up happening because like Mass Effect three did not give people I mean, they, they did get, like, the updated ending. They did get more content. They did not get a new ending. Like, I I think there's something to be said about, like, you know, and I think some, some of the devs even said in this uh, this video is that, like, they appreciated that they were able to make a better version of the thing that they wanted to make, but they, they still found it wild that people still were insistent that they make a new ending, like, a, like completely, like, rewrite the end of the game. And, you know, fundamentally, like, I probably have to, like, rewrite the entire game because they, they want people, like, there are people that wanted the Crucible taken out, so they would have, you know, some weird ending where they could just win the, the Reaper War. And, you know... Right. Whereas Mass Effect 3 is just it's an example of, like, they did take feedback they thought was worth listening to, but they were still, you know... They, they still held on to, like, this is the thing that we were making, this is the thing that we wanted to sell. And, yeah, it's um it was interesting to hear them kind of, like, talking about what they're... Because, like, it sounds like the, the uh, team was fairly split, like, down the middle in terms of, like, how they felt. And... Even, you know, things that come that came about as part of the extended cut kind of spoke to that there was some level of resistance. Um, or at least, like, the team being, like, defensive against, like, certain criticism or certain things that were, you know, spreading throughout the internet. Like, making it where you can't shoot the catalyst anymore without triggering the you lose ending. 
Um, and those are some things that I kind of wish that the doc had gone into, like, but I don't know that anyone, or there, there, there was a writer in here, but like, I, there weren't a lot of people that were necessarily, as far as I could tell, like, would have been the people that were making those kind of, like, top-down decisions about, like, what the extent of the new content was going to be. I, I, you mentioned this, this before the podcast as well, and I want to save this for, for the cast, but I think one of the aspects there that's important, um, it, I mean, Number one, it, it bears mentioning that these are all former Bioware devs, mm-hmm. people that don't work there anymore, for obvious reasons. Um, you know, I don't think anyone that that works at the studio now would want to like come forward and talk right. about dirty laundry and all that. Um, so, like, like that's that's part A. And I don't know how much of the original Mass Effect Three writing team is still at Bioware or not. Um, um, a fair amount are still there. Um, yeah. It's I, I don't have the I don't have any numbers in front of me, but there there are at least a significant number that have either left and come back to Bioware or uh, or just didn't leave in the first place. Uh, so that that's one aspect. But I think the other thing and the reason why I like that it's not just the writing team on this is that it, it signifies that this was not just a decision that was made on like, OK, the writers go into a room, rewrite right. and come back out. That's the new cut. Like that's this was a thing like games are made by so many different people mm. and they, they all have their own hand in creating this, you know, a writer can write some good dialogue, but an animator sells that dialogue through the animation of the character in the moment and things mm. like that. And, uh, and the, the programmer makes sure that it all clicks together. I mean, programmer can essentially be as responsible for the editing of a cut scene as well, because they're making sure it all clicks together at the right pace, that everything's mm. going to fire at the right time. Like it's, you know, making, making interactive media is as we have heard so many countless times before, and we'll hear countless times again, a very difficult process. Mm. <laughs> and there, there are so many people working. On it. So I, I like that aspect that we got to hear from so many different people right. that worked on it because it wasn't just, you know, solving that thing. It was solving the idea of like, you know, there are gameplay things that you have to do with the ending as well. Like gameplay changed because of it. And Mm -hmm. I think, I think that's an interesting aspect. And I I do also wish that we had heard just a little bit more about what the narrative teams, like specifically the narrative team's response Mm -hmm. was, or at least like not even the narrative team. I mean, just the people who were making those choices of this is what the ending is. And right. we do get that bit about how, you know, this this was storyboarded out. And then at, at one point, I think someone in the video remarks like, oh, you're actually using that. And there was kind of some confusion that led to so many of the ending cutscenes being similar, mm-hmm. um, which I do think is also like if if part of it was the catalyst being this quote unquote star child or whatever and, and becoming memed and all that. Um, the, the other part of it was that I think viewed on its own, a Mass Effect 3 ending, you know, might leave some some loose ends, but overall, you're like, okay, that was the ending of Mass Effect 3. All right, I'm going to chew on that a bit. And then you go on YouTube to see what right. the other endings were, and you're like, wait, they got the same fucking cutscene? <laughs> like, that's... I think that is honestly what probably turned dis- dissatisfaction into ire, and right. um and spurred some of this and and I think it's also worth mentioning that they were like you know this was spurred on by people too in a way that you I feel like you don't see as often nowadays there are definitely people like boyfriend dungeon good example of there are people uh with with 
quote unquote influence and stuff like that who would push for for those kinds of changes but uh mass effect 3 is significant in that it felt like the first time the industry as a whole was really reckoning with it because it was a triple a game that everybody was playing that people had significant attachment to um there's so many things about mass effect that no other game has really managed to do um and you know even in the time since uh and because of the amount of ownership you might feel over a shepherd that you have or a playthrough that you have over these games that took an entire generation to tell uh the story uh it, it was just the convalescence of enough that it became massive you know mm. in, in a way that no one could have really predicted and and then became a storm that you know consumes <laughs> games essentially mm. and and i like the i i forgot who it was in the video but they they say it was basically like opening pandora's box in a way yeah. and and that really is what it feels like because now nowadays when you mention mass effect it's hard to mention it and not talk about the controversy, right? It's it's right. hard not to talk about, you know, I feel even when I talk to people who are like, oh yeah, you know, I love Mass Effect, and it always comes back around to like, so what did you think of the ending and all that? It's it's really hard to not discuss that. Yeah. And I think there was something that, um, I, I remember who it was, like, I, I wish I kept the names in front of me for all this, but there wasn't one developer that said that um, uh, basically he was glad that you know they were able to act upon the criticism and like you know make a better ending but he also doesn't have a whole lot of tolerance for people who still bring up the original ending and i think that's something yeah. that like i've like definitely come to like ha- especially like as legendary edition was coming up like having to come to grips with the fact that there are people who still despite all of these things that bioware did to uh you know help alleviate certain concerns or just like you know make things more clear there are people who still call the catalyst a ghost and they're like people that still get mad about three colors and mm-hmm. i think like that i think that just speaks to like there are some people that were never going to be satisfied with anything short of a completely different ending and because like if, if you know if company goes out of its way to like clear things up or like actually address these criticisms and people still continue to harp on those and like are still mad about these things that have been rectified at this point that is just kind of telling to me about like where a person's head is at, like when it came to the thing and like what was ever going to be satisfying to them. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's just something that like, you know, at a certain point, like memes take over the actual reality of what's in front of us. And I, I am happy. At least we've gotten like, you know, we're about five months at this point uh, removed from legendary. And I feel like I didn't oh, end up seeing yeah. like a second wave of ending discourse that kind of went anything beyond what was already there because, um, I, one of my, like, biggest fears going into Legend Edition is that there were going to be people that were still mad about shit that happened a decade ago that were going to try and, like, infect the mindset of people that were coming into something for the first time. And, like, you know, th- those criticisms are literally not relevant to anymore. That, like, they would they would have no idea what, like, you know, the quote-unquote, like... Well, I mean, I, I mean they're going to see, I guess, the, the, the Crucible is going to fire three different beams depending on which ending you pick. But in terms of, like, that being, like... Yeah, like a, a declaration on the quality of what is in front of you, uh, instead of it just being like a thing that signifies one ending is beginning versus another. Um, I was just kind of worried that that sort of shit was going to bleed into the way that people that were coming that were brand new to this uh, were just trying to like engage with the, what is in front of them instead of the thing that existed ten years ago because people just cannot fucking let it go. I'd like to think that maybe we've matured in the stories that we ingest as well because I think one of 
Uh, one, one aspect of it is that like it's out of everybody's system. So at this point it's a known quantity versus a surprise. Like everyone knows what they're getting into when they get into the ending of mass effect three. So it's not necessarily like, Oh my God, this is what happens. Like people have a gen- had a general idea with the legendary edition going in. And I mean, granted a lot of the people that were buying a legendary edition were probably people that were already fans of mass effect to begin with. Um, not to say that, only fans of Mass Effect can appreciate this ending or whatever, but I do think there was an aspect of like, it it was not this sudden surprise that like, oh, Shepard pretty much dies in every ending. Um, even, you know, we can get into the, the destroy one that everyone goes for anyways. Uh, but to, to another point, like I did enjoy a, a few weeks back, there was a Cetera thread that was about the the best ending to Mass Effect mm-hmm. was modded in. It was like the the happy ending mod, yep. and it was like, oh, Shepard gets to live, and it. Yep. I do, mm. I do, I will say, I like the endings that put Citadel in, like, like managed to tie some of Citadel into the ending, just because I feel like that's an interesting thing to do. I've always liked that interpretation that Citadel takes place right before they go off to the final mm-hmm. battle, um, and the idea that maybe you could flash back to some of those scenes at the end and all that. I like that concept a lot. Uh, I think that works very well for, for what they're doing. And so I don't mind, I don't mind mods that reframe stuff in that sense. And and again, this is like, it's a mod. So it's, it's, it's almost essentially like fan fiction in a way. Um, But the very like, open face nature of saying like, Oh, this is the best ending. Why is it the best ending? Oh, mm-hmm. because Shepard lives like, right. Is that yeah. really like what you're hinging everything on for your enjoyment of this media is that you get the quote unquote, everybody lives. Nobody right. has to die. Just this once. Yep. Nobody dies like that. Yeah, and that's uh, something I've, that's something I've definitely noticed over the past however many months since legendary edition is that there's like some major fucking revisionist history from some people about like, Yes, like, there are, you know, there are all the various issues that other people might have had with the ending of Mass Effect 3. There are some people that straight up blatantly fucking lie that nobody cared about the fact that Shepard died. Like, people, like, they, they say that that's, nobody cared about that, and that was never, the, like, part of the criticism. No, there were people, like, why do you think the happy ending mod is still so popular? Why do you think mm-hmm. that people, like, gravitate to destroy, regardless of the fact that you have to commit genocide to do it? Like... They'll hold on to the things that, like, make the game look bad, but they won't hold on to the things that make them look bad. That's just, kind of, like, my vision of a lot of these people that are still, after 10 years, like, bl- like frothing at the mouth about this ending. Like, so, to draw a comparison to another game that, that had this problem, um, Ken, are you familiar? I, I forget which ones of these games you have played, but have you played Fallout 3? No. Was it, sorry, was that, yeah, you... No, that was a no. No. That was a no, okay. No. So... Fallout 3 is a bad video game. Hot take. (laughs) um, Because it mostly... I mean, there's a very long video by a great YouTuber named H-Bomber Guy that really goes into a lot of the things that I also don't like about Fallout 3. um, And it mostly has to do with you not really being the main character of the story and you kind of just chasing after the main character of the story the entire game. Um, But it's... When it it comes to a head at the end of the story... uh, you basically have to go into a room to input these codes to, to do something. I, I, I forget what the official thing is, but it's, it's, it has to do with this giant robot named Liberty prime. It's very silly. Um, 
and this room is leaking radiation like it's star trek 2 uh and so whoever goes into this room to input these codes is going to die from overexposure to radiation it's like set uh so either you can do it and bravely sacrifice your character's life and die in in the in the ending of mass or ending of mass Effect three in the ending of follow three and and have it happen that way or the other character one of the more quote-unquote main characters the hero of the faction that you've been working with can go in there and she can do it and she can die and your character gets regarded as like a coward for the rest of history and is known as like someone who wimped out (laughs) of of being a hero and all that which i think is funny but um infamously uh so uh, these games have companions in them as well and uh, one of the companions you could have with you at this point was named Fox. And Fox um, is a super mutant. Super mutants have no problem with radiation because they're mutants. They can just kind of vibe in, in radiation forever and it will never really do anything to them. And at the time, you could even turn to Fox and say, hey, why don't you go in there and put in this code so nobody has to die? And he has a dialogue line that's like, no, my friend, destiny has led you to this path and this is a decision you must make and I cannot be a part of it. Like, <laughs> what? <laughs> I I love the fact that this was something that the team had thought of and was like, you know what? No. <laughs> that they had a dialogue option specifically for it just to say fuck you. Maybe I like that. But uh there there are like mods and stuff that make it so that yeah, you can do that. And and uh there's there's a long history of you know, like revisionist mods and things like that, Mm -hmm. that will change certain aspects. And usually they do surround the idea of uh, a game where a player character would die undoing that death or or undoing the death of another major character. I mean, you want to look at one that has existed since the dawn of time, uh, or at least since the dawn of the PlayStation one rumors about being able to revive Aerith Mm -hmm. in in final fantasy seven, or I there's another famous one I think around Suikoden too about recruiting a character that dies or something like that. Uh, all of that is to say, like the idea of revising a game to have, you know, a death be undone or find a way to continue on with that character in some way. That's not necessarily new to right. gaming. I mean, that's not new to fiction. But the thing with Mass Effect that's always especially rub me the a weird way about it is there is that sense of player ownership like bleeding into it and the idea that like oh no no, no I, my shepherd deserves a happy ending and stuff like that and uh i i think it's what they they end up getting into in the video as well where they're saying like there's you know how much of a dialogue do you have between storyteller and audience? And that's mm. really like what a lot of this comes down to between boyfriend dungeon, between mass effects, between things like fallout three, where it's how, how much does an audience get to dictate what they want out of a video game? And, mm. and should a story, I think there's boyfriend dungeon is again, an excellent example because I think the content warning thing is a completely valid thing to bring up because it was an aspect of the game that the developers already included 
doesn't really change the narrative content of the game. And it was basically just people saying, we want this to be a better, more specific version of what it already is. Cool, easy, done. Like there's a reason that one got taken care of and and, and mm. done. And I, I think it's, from what I've seen, is broadly in a place that, that people are, are more comfortable with. Mm. But in terms of uh, this being a thing that is... Uh, you know, taking it out entirely, just removing an entire section of the game and not just like, you know, taking out that narrative content, but something that really is at the core of, from what I understand of Boyfriend Dungeon, like is at the core of what that game is trying to do and talk right. about is, yep. is a whole different thing. And I, I mentioned this in, in an upcoming episode, depending on when this goes live of, of Acts of the Blood God. Uh, but like, you can't just make stories a la carte. You know, it's there's 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 an amount of people need to be okay with walking away from media or saying that they don't want to engage with media like Mm -hmm. the content warning sticks out at me because if someone starts that game up, sees the content warning, sees that this is going to be a major part of this game and says, you know what, I don't really want to engage with that good like that's the content warning working that's what it's supposed to do it's it is functioned properly in the Mm -hmm. sense you have seen this this story is not something that you want to engage with and you can walk away and go Mm -hmm. do something else and i you know as i and ken you can probably like understand this as well like as as people that do you know quote unquote i wouldn't say we do like narrative work but we do write for a living and the idea that like the the things that that we create should have to they'll never be able to please everyone they're right. never going to make everyone happy it's a, it's literally impossible to chase that idea and uh it's it's that stuff that really just grinds my gears yeah. about all this i think that's kind of like you know my wrapping thoughts on the whole situation is that like I understand that there might have been like some people that wanted to make these changes and that wanted or like thought that there was merit to some of the stuff. But I also like, I think I'm, I'm my opinion on the extended cut as like a thing and like the things that it has in it that I you know, you can go back and listen to our, our fucking three year old Mass Effect three retrospective at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, that that would take up its own show. But like I at least am get like I have more of an appreciation now that like by the fact that they did stick with their guns, at least in terms of, like, they didn't come up with some new ending, that they didn't go out of their way to, like, you know, completely break the game that they had made to mold it into something that would have been more pleasing to someone who wanted to get out of that game scot-free. And mm-hmm. um, and I'm sorry to everyone who had to overwork to make it happen. And because, like, yes. there's, there's even a yeah. point where, like, somebody said that by the time, like, between that and then ultimately, like, w- like walking straight into Dragon Age Inquisition... Some people at Bioware were, like, having to go to therapy because, like, you know, from mm-hmm. the experiences of, like, having to be on that side of that controversy, but also just, like, the, the overwork. And, you know, a lot of that, you know, just it was at the behest of people who are still mad at them for trying. So, sorry to all of y'all, but I appreciate what you did, and Mass Effect 3 is still my favorite game of all time. So, for whatever mm-hmm. that's worth. Yeah, it's, um, it's something that, you know, I think, we'd look at Bioware now having, I think learned a lot of lessons over the course of Mass Effect three and Dragon Age Inquisition and, and Anthem, uh, you know, yeah. Uh, well just thinking specifically about the crunch surrounding some of those games and, 
um, and how fast those games were turning around. Like Bioware has since become a larger company, um, has become a, a company with a slower rate of output, which mm. I know that that's like, uh, what is it? The, I want fewer games with lower budgets and worse graphics or, or higher budgets and worse graphics and stuff like that. Uh, that's basically like, I want the people making these games to have to stress less and, and work normal people hours to make them happen. I don't like the idea that there's, there's like a martyr complex in the idea of like, if you're going to make true art, then you need to suffer to do it. And I've always, I've always disliked that idea. And, um, I, I think that, you know, this is just me personally. I, people at Bioware have to have realized that their pace was unsustainable in the long Mm -hmm. run. And it was, especially by the time that Andromeda and and Anthem were coming around, that it was actively harming the games they were creating. Right. Um, You know, that you could see the, the ways in which those games, um, despite their individual merits, were also suffering under the weight of having to be turned around so fast and, um, and in ways that were not conducive to, the products and, and the people working on them. Mm. And, and meanwhile, it's so, taken fucking eight years to get Dragon Age 4. So, like, that is I'm something. I'm cool that, with that. That, that is something that. that, like, all, there's been all these <laughs> shifts we've seen in the company in terms of, like, they, they canceled Anthem Next. Um, they mm-hmm. apparently, like, have taken out whatever, like, live service multiplayer bullshit within Dragon Age 4. And they have taken this many fucking years to get Dragon Age 4 out. Like, I'm hoping that, like, you know, there are a lot of like circumstances surrounding those choices, but I also hope that that is indicative of a shift in terms of how they are getting these things out. Because, mm-hmm. yeah, I, I want like I know video game is worth putting people who make them through the fucking ringer. Yeah, and yeah, I, I am ultimately glad that we got what we got out of Mass Effect Three, and I think, you know, I originally when I played it, I was definitely you know not thrilled about it in some ways for for reasons that I think were also covered in the video and stuff like that. Just little nitpicky things. Like I did like that. They, they highlighted the jungle planet thing where they were like, mm. uh, the, the Normandy, they're supposed to have a cutscene where the Normandy, you know, lands in a jungle planet and they come out of the ship and look up at the sky. And the, the guy who was working on the galaxy map was like, there's no jungle planet mm. <laughs> that they could have landed <laughs> on. <laughs> like Earth was the closest thing and they're flying away from it. And there's no other jungle planet in the soul system that they could go to. <laughs> I don't know what you want me to do mm. here. <laughs> I like that part a lot. But uh, it's, yeah, it, it's also the idea of like, those are all kind of nitpicks in, in what is otherwise a series that, it remains like one of the most impactful series in video games for me. Um, mm. You know, it's not just one that I enjoy playing, but has had like a significant impact on my life. Mm. Um, obviously, which resulted <laughs> in this podcast and all that. Mm. But uh, it's, you know, I'm glad that the team is moving on. I'm glad that they're they're doing new things. Uh, I'm interested to see whatever is next from mass effects you know whenever we do see that i don't expect to see it anytime soon uh and uh it's it's something that at least they can kind of talk about now in hindsight you know we are years removed from it at this point so uh it's it's nice that it's able to be talked about in some length um, and I would kind of like to hear some of the higher ups eventually yeah. talk about it one day. I mean, um, Casey Hudson, you don't work at Bioware anymore. That NDA is going to give up. It's going to go away eventually. Yeah. 
Yeah, there, I mean, hit me there's up. A lot of email on my Twitter bio. <laughs> there's a lot of Bioware leadership that has left, and and I I would hope that, that means that uh, pretty soon some of those stories are going to start to come out, and we'll get like a the last last word on all this. But yeah. um, even with it in the rear view, and, you know, as we've said a few times here, it's it's still worth remembering and talking about because it is something that I think will continue to be a thing in game. It will always be a thing in games. Like, you know, like I said before about, you know, Final Fantasy seven had this fallout three had this, you know, it's people are always going to want, you know, the best outcome. There's always going to be controversy over endings. There's always going to be those who think that if they, Oh, if just this one thing happened, then it would have been perfect and all that. And I don't know, maybe my closing thought here is just like, embrace tackling with media that you can have qualms with without like turning it into, well, if I had done this, you know, it's weird to say like, don't backseat QB the narrative, but like (laughs) it's, I I think there's a very valid way of, of saying that I don't like this aspect of a thing without turning it into, that means that you have to change it and make it what I want it to be. Yeah. That's Um, something I even, I don't remember what sprung it on in my brain. I think it actually might have been Boyfriend Dungeon, where there's like a something that, like something that I've noticed as a person that you know writes criticism of video games on the, the internet is like mm-hmm. I feel like there is this kind of disconnect between how I, I feel like some of the ire that comes towards people that like write criticism and like do criticism on the internet is generally coming under the assumption that a lot of critics are engaging with things on the same terms as like. Mm. the average consumer like or not, 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 not the average consumer actually like the more like vocal angry consumer that like mm. because i've brought up my qualms with something i am now like i'm now going to write this paragraph demanding it be changed where i think a lot of people that like take the most from criticism and also like are like enjoy doing criticism the most are people who generally approach things under the pretense that, that what you're talking about is all this is ever going to be because i think like I, you know, I, I wrote criticism about, like, why I didn't like how Persona 5 handled romance, and I never expected that to be changed because I voiced my qualms right. with it. Right. And I think that's just, like, a disconnect that some people have, like, you know, like, you know, the loud, angry, awful people on the internet that are, like, basically like a Karen at a grocery store, like, I want to talk to your manager, I want this fix to, you know, satiate what I want about from it, where I think, like, you do, there's, like, a you, the next... There are two points in your life. One, when you think everything needs to be changed to fit your needs. And two, when you are just more comfortable with being unhappy with something and then moving on. Yeah. Yeah. It's, I I do also love that when I see like, like my, my two biggest uh, grievances are a, when I see somebody refer to any article written about something as a review of something, mm-hmm. Uh, so like an opinion article will get referred to as a review and I'm like, it's not a review. It's literally not, it does not say review. Uh, there's a separate label for that. That's my number one with a bullet. But number two, uh, is definitely this idea that just because you criticize something means that you're like calling for it to be changed or calling Mm -hmm. for it to be different. There's, those are two very different things in my opinion. And they're, Mm -hmm. I mean, there are things I dislike about, like to use a recent example, uh, Evangelion Thrice Upon a Time. I don't like some of the ways it still kind of goes out of its way to sexualize certain characters in in a function that I think worked in other Evangelion media to highlight certain aspects of the story, but I don't feel like it does anything in Thrice Upon a Time. It just kind of feels like extra for the sake of extra. Mm. Um, 
And does that mean I want, you know, Hideaki Anno to go back and fix Thrice Upon a Time? No. It, it just means that that's an aspect of that work that I'm just always going to have to kind of tussle with. And that's still an absolute banger of a movie and an yeah. absolute banger of a conclusion. And I love it, yep. but it will always have that little thorn and that's okay. Like that's, and, and just like one of my favorite God. games is vampire, the masquerade bloodlines. Sorry. Ken. <laughs> just, um, one of my favorite games is vampire, the masquerade bloodlines. That game is flawed as shit. <laughs> There's mm. so much wrong with that game, but I love it. Mm. And just be comfortable with that. Yeah. And I think like, just, I can tell you from my own experience, like the second I stopped expecting anything that I said or thought to be like something that molded the things I was consuming, I just generally started enjoying media more. Like Mm -hmm. the the second, like you are comfortable with things not being what you want them to be, but also just being comfortable, like vocalizing that in one way or another. And just like having that be a conversation that you can have without expecting it to fucking light the world on fire and change everything to fit your fucking whims. You will enjoy broadly all the media you consume way more and you'll just be and you'll also just be more comfortable like consuming something that was bad because it can be bad and you don't have to care yeah i feel like that's been a realization that i've had to come to myself over the last like five years has been being okay with something not being perfect and not Mm -hmm. being life-changing and instead just appreciating the little things about it and you know not not necessarily like giving anything a free pass Mm -hmm. either but like just accepting a work for what it is. It's a work and, you know, like making creative work that is then going to be consumed by thousands and thousands of people is a difficult, weird thing. And I think, you know, as, as a, we we do need to wrap this at some point, (laughs) but I think on like the broadest galaxy brain scale of this, like we are still contending with the idea that our media is being consumed in larger like, like like by more people and then also dissected on a scale that we've never really right. done so previously you know social media wasn't around for for the age of you know Casablanca and stuff mm. like that and so there were people have consumed media for for a long time but now we not only have the capability of consuming media on a scale that we have never had prior but also discussing it and sharing it and talking about it and picking it apart in a way that is is just unprecedented and I think has led to some of this stuff. It's it's what led to shit like cinema sins mm. and oh god. <laughs> <laughs> and uh it's 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 what's led to to that sort of approach to things and the the, the TV tropes and the like of you know turning media into something you can easily you know break down and pick apart and yeah yeah and then that's i think where a lot of the a la carte feeling of you know made to order narrative comes from and it's you know it's it's just kind of eternally shaken up the way that we consume all this stuff so Mm -hmm. i I don't know the the fix is just be more comfortable with not liking things and moving on with your life i you know it's and no one is going to tell you that you have to like the mass effect 3 ending like i'm not going to sit there and ken might ken might (laughs) 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 but uh i'm not going to sit there and tell you that you have to like the ending of something i'm just saying you don't have to harass the maker of it into changing it so it fits what you wanted out of it um and and I, I hope all again, hope all those folks at Bioware and, and former Bioware have moved on to better things. Um, I recognize some of the names that were in the video as people that are at other studios now and doing mm-hmm. cool things. So 
Um, shout outs to them. Shout outs to them for for being willing to talk about this yep. stuff and and not just like being willing to talk about it, but it 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 goes without saying that like appearing on camera, appearing right. with your name and everything like that it, that is a thing that you know for for very obvious reasons in in games media and games press and and existing online like that's a brave thing to do mm-hmm. and i respect them a lot for being willing to talk about it and be open and be honest in in the ways yeah. that they were and so like shouts out to all of you i hope you're all doing well i hope you're all thriving i hope you have excellent productive rewarding careers ahead of yourselves at whatever you are doing now um so on that note, that's that's the end of our bio bit here. We keep things pretty casual, but as always, we are Normandy FM. We are a retrospective podcast currently on Final Fantasy X. Uh, who knows? Maybe one day we'll find our way back to Bioware. Uh, you know, <laughs> once a new Bioware game is out. <laughs> but I don't know. Maybe, maybe when the KOTOR remake comes around, too, we might have to think about that because... Hmm. God, I would love to make Ken play a Star War. <laughs> mm. But, uh, you know, make sure you tune in. We've got some excellent episodes coming up in our Final Fantasy X series. Um, and doubtless, I'm sure there will probably be more bio bits in the future because I think we're we're pretty stinking due for some from Bioware news and at some point. I mean, the Game Awards are usually when we look to, to see mm. some updates on that stuff because that's kind of been where they premiere a lot of stuff uh in the last few years so i I don't think i'd be too surprised to see something pop up at the game awards bioware related and that would be very exciting and of course we would then rush to record one of these for y'all but (laughs) until then we'll see you next time on normandy